The things you cannot see may be the things that want to hurt you most. Today, I've got some stories for you featuring demons, spirits, and deadly creatures that want nothing more than to cause you harm. Hey, they gotta eat too, right? Welcome to Outdoor Terrors, the show where I, Darkness Prevails, share with you real people's allegedly true stories of the terrifying things they've encountered in the great outdoors. If you have a story of your own to share, send it to me at darkstories.org. And stop by eeriecast.com if you want to hear more scary stories from me. If you like what you hear, leave Outdoor Terrors a rating and review on Spotify and Apple. Thank you. Now, throw a log on the fire, because the night is still young. The following story is a pretty creepy one for me. It reminds me of the cloaked figure phenomenon, which I've been hearing a lot about and might be connected to missing person cases. What a terrifying thought that the people in this story might have narrowly avoided being disappeared. Something in the Woods From Something Eerie, 26 I'm a 20-year-old college student who's in ROTC. My program has all contracted cadets shuttled out to a local military base every semester for an FTX, which is a field training exercise. I'll be leaving the specific base anonymous. In March of 2023, two of my friends went on this trip. The only reason I didn't go was because I wasn't yet contracted. Typically, the trip lasts four days, and the base is around four hours away. When my friends returned, they told us what happened during the trip. During the night land nav iteration, cadets get sent out with a compass and a map to find points given to them. My friends did this too, and they experienced something spine-chilling. They heard something rustling in the surrounding woods as they stepped into the pitch-black darkness. As they moved along the thin path, this unknown thing followed them. They shined their headlamps toward the general direction of the sounds, but they never saw anything. After about ten minutes, the sounds kept pursuing them. They decided they'd had enough and turned back to the starting point. When they returned, they told people about the experience, but no one believed them. The story sounded believable to me, but I never gave it a thought that it could happen to me, until November of 2023. It was time for the fall semester FTX. I was now contracted at this point, so I was required to go. After loading onto the bus, we made our way to the military base. My friends and I were having the best time the whole way there. Our commissioning class is really close, almost like a second family. When we arrived, we unloaded our equipment and entered our barracks. These barracks weren't the newest or nicest, but I was happy to just be sleeping on a mattress instead of the dirt. We all prepared for the next 48 hours ahead of us, which consisted of being shuttled out to a land-nav course, sleeping in a patrol base that night, then having a full day of lanes the following day. My friends and I stayed up in the barracks, all squished together in a bunk, laughing and telling stories. 
we stayed up until around 1am, which we would definitely regret the next day. The wake-up time was 5am, which wasn't actually bad compared to the 4am wake-up time we had the day after. We woke up that morning and got shuttled out to the land nav site. We took a quick test, then, since I'm a second year, got paired up to begin our full day of land nav. I paired up with one of my friends. She and I knocked out our points and returned to the starting point for Chow. Now, we couldn't really cheat, because our instructors took our phones, to guarantee that we didn't cheat. After everyone else got back, we ate our MREs and got sent out for our second land nav iteration. Yet again, she and I did really well, and found three out of the four points. And again we got back and waited for everyone else to return. Our instructors surprised us with hot chow from the DFAC. As the light seeped from the sky, you could hear packs of coyotes in the distance howling. To be honest, coyotes always freaked me out. It wasn't their size, but the sounds they made the way they kind of howled and hollered and had conversations with each other. After that, our instructors gave us new coordinates to plot on our maps. By now it was pitch black. This time we had to switch partners. For the sake of the story, I'll call her M. M and I were given our usual safety brief, consisting of do not interact with wildlife and only turn your red lamps on when you're checking your map or azimuth. She and I then set out. We were excited since most of our points were along this more significant path, and we didn't have to go too deep in the woods. As we started our journey to the first point, we talked, our eyes adjusting to the dimly lit path. The trees blocked most of the little moonlight we had. We weren't on the path long before we began hearing rustling sounds in the woods on our left. I looked at him, wide-eyed and whispering. Did you hear that? She shook her head, but we both agreed it was just some deer off in the distance. We started to talk louder, trying to scare off our new follower, and kept walking. Soon, the rustling stopped, and we just carried on. But then, much louder and more aggressive rustling started to the right of us, not even a minute later. It sounded like it was only 15 feet away. My heart sank. M looked at me with a worried expression on her face. There wasn't a need to verbally confirm the noise, because with the looks on our faces, we both knew the other person out there had heard the same thing. We didn't want to be overdramatic, so we kept walking, slowly. We talked even louder to ensure that if it was a deer... It would likely run off when it hurt us. But our loud talking didn't work. The rustling turned into loud, stalking footsteps. It sounded like leaves crunching with loud thuds. It grew closer and closer to the path that we were on. Now, earlier I said it was 15 feet away. But now, it had to be between 5 and 10 feet. It followed us for about 10 more yards. We briefly broke the rules, shining our headlamps into the brush. We saw nothing. No outline of a figure. No glowing eyes. Nothing. 
All that we could hear were these loud thuds that continued to follow us. This creeped us out, because there would have been glowing eyes if it were an animal. We started walking back to back, keeping our headlamps on to cover our fronts and backs. Again, it kept following us along the pathway. As our situation started to be more serious, we needed to figure out if whatever this was was truly stalking us. I stayed in place, shining my light into the brush, while M went ahead and walked slowly. I heard that thing following her now. I caught back up to her, telling her that I heard the loud thuds that followed as she went ahead. This final thing freaked both of us out, and we had to make a decision. We decided that we needed to go back to the starting point. So we began to speed walk back, but it didn't take long before it turned into a run. I know that sounds like a bad idea, but our flight or fight responses kicked in at that point. We ran as fast as we could down the path. We could hear that thing stalking us, now starting to run in the brush beside us. It was fast. We picked up the pace, seeing two figures in the distance. Em and I were terribly relieved when the two figures turned out to be two friends of ours, Luke and Brian. They yelled at us, You two better slow down. We thought you were a car with those headlamps on. We cut them off, filling them in on what happened. They laughed and shrugged it off. It was probably just a coyote or a deer. Nothing to be freaked out about. Tell you what, we were going to go the way you two just came from. So now me and Brian can go back with you. If we hear it, we'll scare it off, then go on our own ways to our points. Em and I agreed to the offer. We were probably just paranoid, like Luke said, right? We walked and talked to them about other things, trying to keep our minds off the fear. When we got to the spot where we first heard the rustling, we told them. Within seconds, the same leaves began to crunch with loud thuds. Both Luke and Brian froze. They looked at us and immediately said, Nope, let's go. The four of us swiftly sped and walked back to the start point area. I remember saying, I told you me and him weren't being dramatic. Brian responded, Next time one of y'all say something like that, we'll believe you. Personally, I just wanted to be done. But if we'd gone back to the starting point with our instructors, they would not be very thrilled that we found none of our points, and there were two more hours left in our time hack. So the four of us stuck together. We went to another side of the map to find our points. We were paranoid, all keeping our headlamps on at a low setting so no one would catch us. Unfortunately, Luke and Brian found their point before ours, so they had to go back to the starting point. But luckily, we found another person to tag along with us, so we wouldn't be alone. We all chatted and tried to lighten up our spirits, but this new friend's point was before ours too, so he had to peel off in a different direction. Alone, Em and I chugged along to find our final point. It was so deep in the woods that we had to file through the brush. But we finally found it. Yet again, we were relieved, because now we could go back to the start 
and get this over with. The whole time, it felt as though something was watching us. I was constantly looking over my shoulders, jumping at every little thing. Em and I tried to keep a conversation going to keep our spirits up, but I could feel the tension surrounding us. The forest that was around us was so silent, you could probably hear a pin drop. I knew that the forest being quiet was never a very good sign. We were around halfway back when we started to hear the same crunching and thuds coming from our right. This time, I froze in fear. I couldn't believe it was happening again. I'm not super religious, but in that moment, I started to pray to whatever or whoever was listening. M turned around, and we put our backs together. We started to walk a little faster in the deep, dark woods. It's very rare for me to lose my cool, but I had a very uneasy feeling, and I was starting to freak out. M reassured me that I needed to keep a level head. If it wasn't for her, I think I would have broke down. We finally got to a dirt path and heard, What are y'all doing with your lamps on? This came from an upperclassman. We explained to her what happened, and she explained that the exact same thing happened to her and some other people too. I told them how that was weird, that the noise was so loud and clear, but there were no glowing eyes, no figures, seemingly no other physical presence. They claimed that's exactly what happened to them. When we all got back, there were multiple groups who experienced this. One person was even surrounded by a pack of coyotes. Luckily, no one was hurt. But we would be lying if we said we weren't paranoid to sleep out there that night. There is something out there that's apparently not scared to stand up to a large group of people. Be careful and use your common sense. My Grandparents' Weird Property From Straw Hat Number 12 This all started when I was about 10 years old. I grew up in southern Wisconsin, but I moved out of state when I turned 20. My paternal grandparents immigrated from Laos to America in 1975, and may God rest my grandfather's soul. They got a house outside a small town with a little bit of acreage. They had this insanely huge garden in the backyard, with every vegetable and herb you can think of, accompanied by a huge chicken coop with various species of birds and other animals. They always attended farmer's markets to give back to the community, but the land always felt a bit odd to me. The tree line behind the huge garden had a trail in the bit of woods behind the house, that led from one side of the yard to the other. It was about a 10 to 15 minute walk through the small patch of woods, which was surrounded by farmland. I remember my uncle, who's only a few years older than me, taking me on a go-kart ride through there before, and he would just gun it through at full speed. Well, on this occasion, my 10-year-old self was alone. I decided to walk alone on that trail for the first time. I remember how the sun hit the trees and leaves, the softest breeze I ever experienced. It was like something out of a Studio Ghibli film. It was beautiful. 
I noticed I was getting tired, feeling like I was walking for a long time. But then, out of nowhere, I felt this paranoia, like I wasn't alone anymore. It was a fear I'd never experienced. I knew something was close to me, something that wasn't good. I could hear it walking around and the twigs breaking underfoot, but coming from many directions at once, that feeling of being watched. I kept looking about, feeling confused and not seeing anything. I was panicking at this point. This all hit me in an instant, just slapping me to reality. All of a sudden, I felt somebody, not something, but somebody next to me. And that feeling was comforting and reassuring. I looked up to my right, smiling, as if to say thank you to someone. But I didn't see anyone. I kept on walking with my head down, knowing that I had to get out of the woods. After a few minutes, I began to hear shouting. I looked up, and I saw I was finally at the other side of the backyard, where the trail ended. I stepped into the yard, and I looked back, waving goodbye at nothing but air. My aunt was on the back deck, yelling out for me, asking where I was. I wondered what she meant, as I could have only been gone for a few minutes. But she said I'd been gone for four hours. Now remember me saying that the walking trail was only about a 10 to 15 minute walk. I'd lost four hours. I remember looking at the time, and sure enough, she was right. I walked into the house, and everyone was gathered there, looking at me like, what the heck, kid? I was so lost. I felt mad, too. Mad that I didn't know what happened. Mad that I couldn't piece together anything, because nothing made sense. Since that day, I haven't felt right, and I never walked that trail again. In 2014, my family put a trail cam up in the backyard, and they caught a photo of what they believed to be two spirits holding hands. I will link to this photo in the description. Wisconsin is known for Native American folklore. The whole state seems to be practically haunted. Fast forward to my dad's 38th birthday in December at the same house. I was standing next to the kitchen counter. I was just looking down at the floor when suddenly, everything around me began to move and fast-forward. Imagine fast-forwarding a VHS tape. Imagine how that looked. Yeah, except I wasn't moving. I was paralyzed, stuck staring down at the darn floor. My dad was sitting on the couch next to the counter, and all of a sudden, I was able to move after what felt like five minutes of trying to force myself to. The first thing I did was look up from where I was standing and ask him, How old are you today? I'm turning 39, he replied, looking at me confused, with a mix of concern. I looked at the calendar and did my math to make sure he wasn't pulling my leg. Thinking to myself, a whole year? A whole year went by? I'd lost an entire year? I couldn't help but think this was related to the four hours I lost during that trail incident. I went to the bathroom to gather myself, and I noticed the shirt I was wearing was small and tight. I was shocked. My stomach was even showing at the bottom. 
My dad had to help me find a shirt that fit. I don't remember school or any activities or anything from that missing year. I held on to that shirt for a few years afterwards. After all, it was connected to that mystery. This has weighed heavily on my mind for a long time. I've spent years researching about time, the woods, etc., looking up other people's similar experiences to assure myself that I'm not crazy. I've never told anyone of these experiences because I understand what it sounds like. I get it. People don't care until it happens to them. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Island Gin from Tia Beanie I had a friend in college named E who was from a beautiful island, which I'll keep anonymous here. To give you some idea, though, these are a cluster of several islands, some of which are uninhabited. Of the uninhabited islands, only a few places are accessible to the general public, as there are several tribes living there too. So, to protect their liberty and to let them live in peace, the government has strict regulations in place. E once invited me to spend Diwali with her family. She lived in a lovely coastal town, brimming with history and stories. I was to spend about ten days with E's family, and I was super excited. Her house had a rustic charm to it, 
with wooden pillars and old architectural designs. Inside, I was surprised to find horseshoes nailed on the wall. There was one horseshoe in every room of the house, including the bathrooms and the kitchen. This was a bit odd, as it didn't really seem to be part of the decor. When I asked her about it, E told me a tale that was creepy and a bit unsettling. Winnie's aunt, who we'll call S, was young. She had a certain health condition that seemed to not go away. Her parents had taken her to several doctors and hospitals, but nothing had ever worked out. Finding no other solution, they decided to consult a spiritual healer. This spiritual healer was an old man who supposedly had entrapped a djinn. The djinn would tell him answers that people needed to know, and he had gained quite a reputation for himself for helping people out. So when S's parents, E's grandparents, went to see him, they weren't sure what to expect. They saw the old man go into some kind of trance, wheezing and shaking violently. He made loud grunts and carried an unintelligible conversation with someone or something, presumably the djinn. He even had a whip with him that he used on himself once or twice, which was quite scary for S's parents. But soon, he came out of this trance and gave them the name of a doctor, the name of the hospital they were associated with, and the place the hospital was located. He told them to take S there, and everything should be fine. Shockingly, the details he had provided were right to the T. This hospital and the doctor were in another part of the country, and there's no way he could have had that information. Even if he did know, by some fluke, when S and her parents went there, they were able to address her health issue once and for all. After that, S went on to live a normal life, with her condition gone. When I heard about this, I didn't know what to make of it. I reasoned with it, thinking S's parents had perhaps found the doctor on their own, and somehow convinced themselves it was thanks to the healer. But this was in the 60s, way before the internet. There's no way they could have known about a doctor living thousands of kilometers away in a town they didn't even know existed, he assured me. I shrugged, asking her to go on. The old man, who had been the djinn's medium or master, died some time later of natural causes. But upon his death... Weird things started to happen all around the place. People reported seeing a luminescent figure hovering in the woods late at night, watching them from the dark. Sometimes on desolate trails, people reported hearing laughter from the trees, a deep and sinister laughter. At one point, a tribal man was found on a bustling street in the city, frantic and having no recollection of how he'd even got there. Tribes keep to themselves, and the areas they live in are well protected to not disturb them. So for one of them to just wander into the city without warning was next to impossible. A few government officials had later come in and restrained him, as he was quite erratic. Linguists were called in to translate what he was saying, and he claimed that he had been following a pulsating light through the jungle. Before he knew it, before he could even make sense of what was going on, he woke up here. The officials made sure he was back safe with his community, 
but the people around now truly believe it was the jinn's doing, and that the jinn now haunted the surrounding wilderness. They say when the old man died, the jinn's master, this jinn was no longer tethered. That would explain the laughter, the glowing sights, and everything else. Perhaps this was a playful jinn, E said. But her family did not want to take any chances, playful jinn or otherwise. Horseshoes and houses apparently keep jinns away, preventing them from coming inside. And even to this day, any new house built on the island comes with a set of horseshoes nailed in the corner, one for every room of the house. As for the jinn, maybe it's still lurking out there until someone else traps it. Elephants in the Cemetery From Mooncloud 5733 This took place in the mid-1990s, in the cemetery where my grandparents, great-grandparents, great-aunt, and great-uncle were buried. A part of this cemetery is known as Showman's Rest. The plot was bought by the Showman's League of America, a sort of union for carnival and circus workers. The union's first president was Buffalo Bill Cody. The plot was bought to bury members who had no money or family to pay for funeral services. In 1918, the nation had long into its involvement in the First World War. Trains ferried troops to the East Coast from training camps to be sent to France. One such train was being driven by a man who had been making these runs for days. Exhausted, he fell asleep at the controls. Outside of Hammond, Indiana, a train from the Hagenbeck-Wallace Circus was stopped due to mechanical issues. The empty troop train crashed into the circus train, carrying performers, and in some cases, their families. Many of those trapped in the wreckage died in the ensuing fire. In 1918, the means to identify bodies was not as advanced as today. Within Showman's Rest, there are over 100 graves, their markers simply reading unknown male number 33 or unknown female number 4, or worst of all, unknown child. All with the date June 22, 1918. I first learned of this area after my grandmother's funeral in 1984. My father saw the stone statues of elephants that marked the four corners of the plot and was curious. Even as a child, the sadness of these graves touched me. Over the years, my curiosity grew, and I researched the site. Not as easy in the time before the internet. Though now you can find details of the Hagenbeck-Wallace circus train accident with a quick Google search. Based on the statues in the cemetery, I believe, and rumors abound, that circus elephants haunt the graves. A friend of mine in high school swore up and down he'd heard elephants there once. So, being teenagers, we decided to go one night. I kept trying to tell them all the animals had been on a different train, but my friend insisted. So we went. At that time of night, traffic was at a low ebb. We were about 35 minutes. Getting there wasn't much of a problem. We were there for about 35 minutes and all of us were very, very uneasy. It just felt wrong being in that cemetery. I had this distinct feeling our rowdy teenage nonsense was not welcome here. To the surprise of many of us, 
we did indeed hear something. Animal sounds. Three of my friends bolted right then and right there, one running face first into a tree. What didn't occur to them then was the fact that there was a zoo not too far from there, so animal sounds like that were not an uncommon occurrence. Besides, we were outside. Where else would animals be? After calming everyone down and making sure my one friend had not broken his nose, I suggested we apologize for making a scene. That feeling of disapproval had grown stronger. It didn't feel hostile, just a sense we didn't belong here right now, and that we should go. I never told them at the time, not wanting to feel further late-night trips after the feelings I had. But as we left, I did turn back. A streetlight illuminated the area, specifically where the low shrubs bordered Showman's Rest, abutting one of the statues. Standing just before the hedges, one hand resting on the statue, was a boy who appeared to be about 10 or 11 years old, based on his size. He was dressed in a style I would associate with the World War I era. Knickerbocker-style pants, high socks, suspenders, and a sort of gray cap on his head. The left side of his face and the hand resting on the statue seemed to be horribly burned, and he almost seemed to be smiling. He raised his right hand, and he waved at me. At that moment, I heard sirens and a fire truck passing by, followed by an ambulance. The boy turned and seemed very excited by them, and then he was gone. I hurried to catch up with my friends. That weekend, I went to put flowers on my grandparents' graves. When I left, I stopped by Showman's Rest. I walked to the heartbreaking line of graves of the accident victims until I reached one of the unknown child graves. It just felt right, like that was the one. From my pocket, I took out a Hot Wheels fire truck, which I had stopped and bought along the way and placed it on the grave. As I left, I turned back, and I swear that truck was gone. No one else was in the area, and there was no wind. Ever since that day, I felt a sense of welcome when I visit. Twice more I've seen that boy, once on his own pushing the truck along the base of one of the elephant statues, and once standing with a woman, herself terribly burned and holding her hand. I quickly left. I can't describe it, but the moment felt private, like standing and gawking would have been wrong and a sort of betrayal of trust. I've been back numerous times over the years, and I always get that feeling, a feeling sort of like acceptance and welcome, as if my show of respect earned some sort of trust. I've never brought anyone but my own family and I never gave anyone else details of what I see and feel. I felt that doing so would be a betrayal of that sense of trust. While I have not given any names or directions, the location is very easy to find. But please, if you visit, honor their rest and be respectful. If you see a lonely little boy with a toy fire truck, just give him a wave and let him know someone remembers. Thanks for stopping by our little campsite here at Outdoor Terrors. To hear your story on the show, send it to us at darkstories.org. For more scary stories from me, 
Catch me on my other podcasts, Unexplained Encounters, and Tales from the Break Room on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Or go to eeriecast.com for those and even more terrifying podcasts. Follow me on X or Twitter at Dark Prevails. And if you don't mind, leave a rating for Outdoor Terrors on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Till next time, I'll see you soon when the campfire blazes once again.